Spider-Man No Way Home, Taverns of Tearfanful, Open Doors, Expansion, and Super Skill Pinball ramp it up. This is Staying In. Happy New Year, everyone. Old Lang Syne. Old Lang Syne, eh? Very, what, what, a great, what a great New Year we've, we've all absolutely had. <laughs> and that Christmas, eh? That was a treat. That was a lovely yeah. treat. And what a surprise twist. <laughs> <laughs> to, to let you in on how the sausage is made, we are making this pre-Christmas and pre-New Year's. So we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, let's cover all our bases. Oh no, lockdown again. Uh, what letter of the alphabet, the Greek alphabet, do we think we're on now for COVID? Well, well, pi is the next one, which makes um, <laughs> which makes the future variant sound quite tasty. Oh, have you got pi? Yeah, I've got I've got pi. But hey ho, we are pretending that it's twenty twenty two. Well, isn't it usually traditionally? And I say that as if it's something that we've come up with. Mm-hmm. But usually, this is the time which we put our heads together and think about. Well, A, did we meet our New Year's resolutions mm. for last year? And B, what are going to be our new ones, really? Definitely. And I, and I think that um, that tradition should continue straight away. Uh, first thing I'm going to point out is there is one member of our party missing from this recording. And yeah, and I think we should let the record show that I think it's out of fear of having not done or completed said resolutions that were set last year what was his resolution last year let's see if we think he did it yeah so i've got a little bit of paper here so i um after i came home from the cinema last night at midnight i made myself a sandwich whilst listening to last year's (laughs) new year's (laughs) day podcast so i could make a note of exactly what we said verbatim in some requests so yeah so peter could not make the recording this evening this these were his two resolutions that he set himself So the first one was to publish an RPG supplement. Now, if you just under the radar, just under the radar. If you listened to the last episode, you would have heard Pete's little advert that he asked me to put put in the show for him. Uh, So you know that he's completed that 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 particular resolution. He's getting too big for his boots now. He's outsourcing his marketing and everything. (laughs) Uh, And his second resolution. And this is the reason why he's decided to skip this call, because he knows what we would have to say about this, <laughs> was that he was going to finish painting all of his minis, asterisk, and not to buy any more minis until he's finished painting the ones that he has. So I sent him a text this afternoon and I said to him, I said, if you could spare five minutes, could you give me an update on your resolutions for this year? And if you have any resolutions for 2022 via text? Sure. I don't, know, I don't know why that was a stipulation of, of... Over the phone? No, thanks. <laughs> so he said, publish RPG, supplement, colon, done. Not buying more minis until they're all painted. Not yet complete. Well, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. If it's not yet complete, that means he, he bought more minis. Well, no, it just means that he hasn't painted all of his minis. Hmm. But do we think he's bought more? No, he hasn't. I know this because Pete and I had a, a talk when I was over at his. <laughs> did you? Did, you, did you have to do the inventory? The year is that why he invited you down to do the yearly inventory? What to audit his stuff? Yeah, <laughs> uh, just no, stop check. But he looked me dead in the eyes, and he said, "Chris, I can't buy anymore." That sounds like someone who was 
been buying more and has realised he has a problem and needs an intervention. Mm. Okay, I don't, I don't think that's included in what he sent me. So this, this is a great surprise. So then I said, okie dokie, and do you have any resolutions for 2022? Ah, yes. Hmm. 1444. At 1448, four minutes later. <laughs> number one, get fit. I mean, this this immediately brings back visual images that we all would never want to see again. Yes. Number two, get a copper award on drive through RPG. So just to fill in the backstory for this, basically drive through RPG awards different types of metal awards depending on how many copies of your supplement or RPG or content you're able to sell. So a copper award is 50 plus of his RPG. So um, actually it doesn't say it's for his the one he's got out now. So it could be for anything. He just wants to get a copper award for something. It could on- be someone else's. He's just stolen it. He just needs to get his hands on one. <laughs> That's all I can think of. Oh, yeah. And buy a house. <laughs> yeah. Okay. To be, fair, to be fair, I think I did that one in the past. Obviously, you know, recording this in the future, we don't know what's going to happen. You know, whatever happens, it will be for our own safety and security. Whatever. Brilliant. We will stick to the rules for the health and benefit of everyone around us. However, if last night was the last night that I got to enjoy out with friends and seeing some lovely people, then by George, it was a brilliant night, wasn't it? It was extraordinary. I got goosebumps with Sam, Dan. (laughs) Yeah, we went to the library. (laughs) Just sat down to some R.L. Stein. (laughs) Took out some books. Who did I see? I went to go and see the Goosebumps film. Did I go? It's supposed watch? to be quite good. It got quite good reviews. All my Jack Black. It was all right. It was all right. I haven't right. seen it. it. Apparently, there was a sequel. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, um, but we went. We went out and we met in the car park. We exchanged goods. Dad, I accidentally gave Chris my cop- my copy of Batman: The Long Halloween, thinking that it was Chris's, and then now Chris had just stolen it. So. Chris has now got two copies of it. Well played. Um, And we went for a really nice Chinese meal. Yes. And had some delicious food. And then we went to to the cinema, to the same cinema where we saw the Suicide Squad. But it was decidedly a lot more people were there (laughs) last night than... um, Oh, my word, yeah. They were, yeah. It was um, packed... Because everyone was there to see the latest Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, Spider-Man, No Way Home. This is a trilogy of films from John Watts, who's directed them from the beginning, really, with Mm -hmm. uh, um, Homecoming. And this is where, spoilers from the previous film, at the end of the previous film, uh, Peter Parker's identity is revealed to the world. And he has to live with that fact that the friendly neighborhood spider-man is now known by every single person their identity is known and they have to try and find a way to live like that and are conscious of the impact it has on their loved ones and -hmm. also just in life in terms of what it's how it's holding them back from doing what they want to do themselves and i think that's something that doesn't necessarily come across in the trailers that actually is something that 
that really roots it in those quintessential one of the reasons why people love spider-man is because he's just a kid who's down on yeah. his luck who despite being someone who isn't the wealthiest he's not a, some rich tech billionaire um he's just a he's just a kid and yeah. those life struggles it's are tempered you know uh, those life struggles are always embroiled within the struggles of being a hero yeah and it's really interesting that it's kind of something that's not really been explored in the mcu before that that whole secret identity thing and the voracious appetite for superheroes to be unmasked you know since the first iron man which ends with tony stark saying i am iron man spider-man is probably the only one that i can think of at the top of my head who has a secret identity who is protected because he is a juvenile like there's a there's a line at the start of no way home and we're not going to spoil anything here i think we'll only speak about what was probably in any of the trailers yeah so i tell you what we'll do this is what we'll do we'll speak generally now about the film and how bloody great it is and then we will have a little spoilery section which we'll put on to the end of the outro because that'd be good for our stats <laughs> and pete will be really happy <laughs> so if you want to have a, a join in with a bit of our spoilery chat about um uh, no way home we'll stick that on the end of the podcast yes yeah, so agreed now we'll just as you say just discuss stuff that exists in the trailers so yes. has been put out there by the filmmakers as kind of mm -hmm. content that people can enjoy but obviously if you want to be completely spoiler free like if you have avoided trailers and everything you can kind of maybe come back to this conversation uh the, the kind of the timestamps will be in the episode description so you'll be able to skip so you can always come back to exactly where you need to be but yeah absolutely absolutely so yeah so there is a point in the start of the film, as Chris saying, where it picks up directly from the end of the last film and Peter's there with MJ in the middle of New York and then one of the one of the crowd, one of the members of the crowd says, you're just a kid. And like, it, it is kind of the, 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 the long forgotten thing that Spider-Man is just a child. And that for me is always the most endearing part of, of, of his character, that he is a young person trying to deal with all these kind of things whilst also trying to make sure he gets the college of his choice as in this movie yeah and i know that chris you turned to me just as the film was starting and you said to me one of the things you said was i wish that this film still has those moments of dorkiness and nerdiness that have been in the other two films especially the first film and kind of has have brought that childishness and those like those problems and the stresses you have as a child and as and as a young adult in it because if you've seen the trailers then you know that that this film is definitely dealing with or seemingly deals with lots of big world impactful like stuff like the, the premise of the film is as we said you know peter parker his identity gets revealed to the world and he enlists the help of Doctor Strange to try and help everyone forget that he is Spider-Man. And the spell may or may not go wrong. And that's about all we'll give away of the story. So that's the first thing I really liked about the film is that it really struck that balance really well between massive cataclysmic style event, but also we're really worried about making our first choice college 
place and what our future is going to be and you know are we going to be in the same halls at uni and you know are we going to you know still be friends when when we get there and like that was a real nice sort of grounding for the whole for the whole piece just a reminder that this character that we've known now since you know what um civil war so quite a long time is still a child and is still dealing with that kind of stuff even though on the other hand they're trying to protect their loved ones from all the press attention that they get because everyone now knows that he is spider-man i mean i think that has been as you as you say that has been one of the 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 great successes of kind of tom holland in this role Mm -hmm. um that he has that endearing kind of childishness that goes with that and even in those moments of high action and high drama you always have that underpinning which gives you just a character that you can relate to more so kind of it it separates him from kind of the rest of the mcu and he's surrounded in an environment like when you see him go to school and how school has Mm. changed for him and that's the that's the point of reference that the film is showing you because that's what's important to him it's not just like he's not like being asked for interviews on the news and all stuff like that it's not these big stuff it's how do we show how life is different for him? Let's take him back to school. Let's show him how school and his schoolmates react to him. How his peers who, for these first two films, he's been a nobody. He's, he's been laughed at. He's, people have kind of just not even, he's been invisible. Suddenly, he is the centre of attention, both kind of globally, but also just kind of in this world where he has been invisible. And I think kind of, everyone has had that feeling when they were younger of being in kind of high school and feeling invisible and not having all that. So that's why everyone can empathize and see kind of elements of Spider-Man. That's makes him, that's what makes him such a great character. So we're having that flipped and suddenly there's that kind of beautiful shot of when he, when he's walking through the school and he's surrounded by classmates all with their phones filming him as opposed to kind of like talking or anything like that. He just, he stops everything and it's those moments that kind of really drill into kind of what is, what this actually means to Spider-Man, the fact that it's been revealed. It's not just a case of everyone now knows who it is. He, it, it makes it more difficult for him to be Spider-Man. Those, his world has changed. So when he approaches Doctor Strange to say kind of, I'd like, I need this to stop, you understand it and you believe it because it's not just... Like I think from the trailers, because I didn't see... They brought out two kind of trailers. I only saw the first one. I avoided the second one. So I most of my kind of knowledge going in was of the first one, first trailer. And there was, there's a sense from that trailer of the fact that he's kind of being a bit petty. Like, I don't like all this attention. Oh, I wish I just want to go back the way it was. Whereas when you see mm. the film, you see actually the weight that is on him as a result of this. You totally get the fact that he needs to change this. And it's not just about him. It's not a selfish thing, really, he's doing. It's when he sees the effect it has on his family and his friends and how it's ruining their lives just just by association. It, it really kind of gives you such a deep look into that character. And like for me, it's, 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 it's Peter Parker's film. It's not Spider-Man's film. It's his conflict, internal conflict throughout of how to move, how to deal with this dual identity. We've never really had that in the in the kind of the in homecoming and far from home he's had to Mm. deal with people not finding out but it's just kind of been a bit fun and he's had to put the costume on in weird situations and try to come up with the funny excuses this is this is showing a real kind of 
understanding of actually what does it mean to be both Spider-Man and Peter Parker? You can't be two people. And Doctor Strange says that. It says things are going wrong, not because you've been kind of outed as Spider-Man. Everything's happening because you're trying to be these completely different people. And that's that's mm. the heart of the film and how he can deal with that and how he can move forward with that. And it's, I mean, it it's no surprise that kind of the, the film hangs on him and he kind of shoulders that incredibly well. But it is, you could drill down that whole film just into that internal struggle that he has and how it affects the decisions he makes throughout the film and the choices he makes for good and for ill. All of those things come back to those same that same conflict within himself as to what to do next. And so when stuff goes bad, as happens in every Marvel film, that's not a spoiler, that's knowing what Marvel films do, you you, you have such a personal connection to what's happening that it's it it just carries it through. I have to say, like a couple of weeks, a couple of episodes ago, we talked about Eternals. I obviously really wasn't a fan. I don't like didn't like not liking that film and talking about not liking it. This for me it's gone straight in there as one of my favourite films. I'm, I'm looking at it as the top, top tier films. The likes of your Endgame. The likes of your Black Panther. That's where it's coming from me. Um, I've always enjoyed the Spider-Man films. They've always been great. And I think they have progressively got better. I think there is an argument to be made that the Spider-Man trilogy of the MCU is possibly the best trilogy. It's probably between that and Captain America. The Avengers perhaps drops down a little bit with Ultron. But the the storyline that they have told over these three films has been beautifully told, very nuanced, and has developed both Peter Parker and the, all the characters around him in a lovely way that you believe and you kind of love all those characters, which is the antithesis of how I felt with the previous film. So that's kind of where I, I walked out of the cinema with literally the opposite feeling that I'd had previously. And obviously I've got two films worth of build up for this so that and that makes a huge difference but i came out and, with a smile on my face of like that's 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 marvel on its a game that is but there's but there's also you know as as we left the cinema um me and chris like we we were feel we were feeling the same and we were buzzing but chris you said to me something that was quite interesting and it's no spoiler to say that there are returning characters in this film they're, they're in the trailer yeah i know and like the returning characters are incredible like one in particular just turns up and just chews all the scenery and i had a smile on my face every time that they are on the screen and just would have had a whole film just just with them in it it was it was incredible however i do agree with you dan and i do agree that it's a, it's an incredible denouement to this trilogy and we don't yet know whether tom holland's going to return as spider-man he said he doesn't really want to. He said he didn't want to be Spider-Man after he's 30. And I think now he's like 27 or 28 or something like that, or maybe even 26. Anyway, he's very quickly approaching 30. And he said he didn't want to do Spider-Man after that. So it could be, possibly, it probably won't be because they'll throw money at him. It could be possibly like the the last time we see Tom Holland as Spider-Man. And I think it it was a, a, a wonderful way to finish that trilogy. However, Chris, you turned to me and said and said something. You know, what would that film mean to someone who didn't see the original films where some of these returning characters come from? Like what does that film mean to someone who's say like twelve years old or ten years old? Like who didn't grow up with that, who didn't see those previous um five 
know spider-man films like does it actually hit as would it actually hit as much does it actually mean as as much to those to those people how much is nostalgia playing into how much that you liked that film and like i was saying beforehand like eternals moved me as a human being Mm. uh this one moved me as a fan and i do think that in a strange sort of way eternals might age a little bit better just because there's there's no there's no previous knowledge needed whereas this one like it's hit me right now right you know right in my heart pretty much this film like i will never ever forget that experience of being at that cinema last night seeing that it was a very very special moment but i'm Mm -hmm. very curious to know i don't know 20 years in the future with a with audiences coming in perhaps discovering the mcu let's watch them from the beginning would yeah. that actually land in the same way? And that's not a criticism by any means. Uh, Marvel have played an absolute blinder here, but I could imagine a lot of people looking at this twenty-five or so series of films, thinking, "Oh my gosh, that just that feels now too impenetrable um, to me." Uh, especially, you know, the way that, especially the way that um, currently Spider-Man sits in terms of who actually owns owns it, and we have no idea how different fiefdoms of streaming services are going to be divided up in that in in this you know in this imaginary future so even trying to catch up on the previous non-ncu spider-man films to try and get some sort of basis of the, the characters that have been pushed into this movie might be um, a big deal like it might not be just as easy as sitting down and pressing play it might be you know three separate subscription services or or whatever bonkers or something like that like it 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 is possibly the only thing that puts a downer on on this movie and i and i think that along with chris like i will never forget that evening that i saw it but i genuinely i i don't think it will it will age as as perfectly as some of the other marvel films i, I don't i don't think it I, I don't think it its impact will exist it, its impact will dilute over over time which is not to say it's a bad movie i think it's a perfect movie for for the exact time and for this exact audience which has literally grown up with spider-man but i i can't see it aging as as well as others other marvel films for for a different audience it will be because i i went to see it by myself um uh like my wife has watched all the all the marvel films um she's not as kind of as big a fan of me but we i've kind of the first lockdown we watched kind of the the entirety of them so she does enjoy them she does watch them when they when they come out but obviously we, we have kids mm-hmm. so she stayed home and i'm obviously a bigger fan so i went to the cinema to kind of to see it so i think she will enjoy it but i would be interested to see because she won't have watched the original films the both spider-man yeah. one to three and then the amazing spider-man one and two she won't have watched those so when's kind of some of the some of the villains that kind of show up as as kind of as we've said it in the trailer like i have a reaction to them like when like i know them and so i'm excited by that now she won't have that connection so i would be interested to see how well that movie plays without that element i think absolutely i think the writing and i think the performances and i think the drama and the emotion that the film carries through is strong enough that it will it won't it won't lose all that much by not having that nostalgia element obviously that isn't any time you're going to bring back an old character any time you do that you're you're invoking nostalgia so if you don't have that it's going to suffer a little i do think the film is strong enough to overcome that though 
because the center of that film is still the character that we know and that is the the character from the mcu that is kind of the the tom holland peter parker that he is the center of this film him michelle mj and ned they are those three sit in the center of this and they're the people we've been carried on this journey with and i think because that's the core it will it will last but i'd be interested to see how someone who doesn't have the same connections i do reacts to it so you said your resolutions for 2021 can you remember uh yes one of them was to get a book chapter published good is that correct and me, yep and yes and it was already with the publisher when he when he said this so you know, definitely I, I, stacked, I stacked the deck in my favor definitely <laughs> but publishing <laughs> academic publishing does take a while considering i yes. wrote that years ago mm-hmm. and the other one i believe was staying alive there was staying alive there's another two that you really that you mentioned yeah mm-hmm keep traveling usually that's generally my priority in 2021 you were gonna say keep traveling (laughs) what i mean is like i don't mean like traveling in the sense of like phineas fog what i mean is like you know i got to see see my mates i got i got to see got to stay at dance stayed at pete's (laughs) okay you stayed over at mine actually did you i don't think you did actually anyway thanks uh no one was to run an rpg Oh yeah, done that. You you uh, very bit, much uh, done that. Yeah, You're doing yeah. that. Yeah. Carry on. And the other one was to run to the end of Fellowship of the Ring. Very very close. So when I first moved to where I am living now, which is about three years ago, uh, I it was around the time we were deciding to <laughs> one of our many New Year's resolutions to mm-hmm. get fit, mm-hmm. and we'd done the five k under thirty. And I think it was around the houses challenge we were doing, or maybe that came afterwards when we were trying to run the distance between our homes in a year. Yeah. And that's when we had the image of Pete naked on his exercise bike, lest we Which forget. Which has now come screaming back to me and will never leave me again. <laughs> so I thought it would be quite interesting to take probably one of my most favourite stories of all time, which is The Lord of the Rings, and to almost narrativise or gamify my exercise and run the distance it took to go from Hobbiton to Mordor. So every time I go on a run, I log my result. And Dan and I have got this Google Sheets that we've done, which has got a little graph on it and things, and we can see where we are. So every time I've run, I've logged my timing on there. And I have now got to the point now where I've run to... I'm on my way to Lothlorien, really. I've left the bridge of Khazadum, mm-hmm. and I'm on my way so- to Lothlorien. Yeah, you were at the you were at the mines of Moria, I think. Yeah, twenty start twenty twenty one. Yeah, it's a hell of a journey. Mm. The the full journey is about oh, I think it's just shy of a thousand miles or something like that. Blood and sand. They walked a long distance, uh, but now I didn't get to the end of the Fellowship of the Ring. What a shame! I know. Um, so twenty twenty two, it's a new year, new prospects, new ideas. Chris, what are you going to do? I am going to hopefully buy a house. That will be a massive achievement for me, genuinely, because I I procrastinate quite a lot. I'm not very Mm -hmm. good at being a grown-up or an adult. Not that owning a house makes you a grown-up or an adult. It makes you extremely fortunate, which, you know, I'm in that position now where I am fortunate enough that I can put down a deposit for a house, but actually getting the motivation to want to do so. 
that's going to be my challenge really i think that's the big one for me so i'm pinning everything i'm putting like everything all my chips are on that one on the roulette wheel of life on one okay let's see how let's see how it goes i don't want to start this section because i started all the other yeah i will start then what do you want to talk about um let's talk about pinball first okay Uh, I was listening to The Who the other day. (laughs) (laughs) So, Sam, super skilled pinball ramp it up. Yes, yes. You saw, you've seen what I was going to bring. And it is super skilled pinball ramp it up. You might recognize the slightly convoluted title from the last time we spoke about a super skilled pinball game, which we did on this podcast. That was Super Skill Pinball 4K, which was never the most appealing title, but it was a blooming great game oh, designed game. by the excellent Jeff Engelstein. And um, the company that gave us this game, WizKids, got in touch with me and they were like, do you want to play the sequel? Or at least, is it a sequel? It's a bit more like DLC, but it comes in its own separate box. It's like a, a standalone expansion, basically. You don't need to own... 4k to play ramp it up but they share like similar mechanics basically it's basically like four new pinball tables on which to play so to briefly go over what super skill pinball is i guess now as a franchise which i guess is kind of branched out into it's a roll and write game but it's using a pinball table or simulating the um, act of playing pinball on a pinball table so each of the games, 4K and Ramp It Up, comes with four different tables in the box. And they tend to do really, really interesting things with both the mechanics of rolling dice and filling in things with a little dry white pen, but also with the genre of pinball tables, which I have don't have much experience in except for that one time that we went to that place in Berry, Chris and played Adam's family pinball, but is a pastime, which from my limited knowledge of it is a lot more complex and skillful and deep than I first thought really. So with ramp it up, Jeff, good old Jeff has released four new tables basically to play on and i think all around they are the best four tables out of the eight that are now available and i think that if i was going to suggest which of the two that you would buy if you were interested in if you're a roll and write fan or a pinball fan then i'd definitely go for ramp it up and i think the best way to just describe this game is just describe the four the tables you can play on so each each game each version of the game comes with like a basically an introductory table which kind of helps teach you how to play gets you through the mechanics teaches you how how like the ball essentially simulates falling in between different zones how it like hits bumpers and how the flippers work and on this one it's called gopher gold um, which is a wonderful play on words and a pun Um, but it's a very very simple table there's not that much surprises in it just eases you in and You have a good old time. Where this game really ramps it up... Here we go. ...is in the next few tables. 
and honestly there is there are some things that and mechanics that some of these games explore that really just got those parts in my mind where i can sit there thinking and going through permutations for quite a long time like my original review of super skill pinball 4k was that it was the most fun it was like one of the best solitaire games i've ever played and this new release has just cemented that fact in my head that i could not imagine a situation where i could play this with other people because the the I just feel so pressured into making a decision <laughs> that I don't think I'd enjoy it so much. There was something delightful about me being able to like, I'd take this into work with me. I play it on my lunch breaks. I'd just sit there and I'd just be playing with a table and trying to just get a high score f- with it. Making the sounds. And yeah, making the sounds. <laughs> the and um doing all that on my own like there was just a lovely joy about um having that to myself it's a bit of the it's a little bit like gentle rain but a bit more of a um a bit more thrilling than gentle rain is meditative yeah that makes yeah that makes a lot of sense that makes sense so the other tables are so there is one which is a um a wrestling tag team table which is the only one I haven't tried because you need a partner to play that with. So I'm really interested to see how that that shapes up, where it's a roll and write game on a pinball table, but each of you would play two separate wrestlers that can actually help each other and like tag in and tag out at certain times. There's another one which takes place on a race course where your dice rolls are manipulated and affected by the current speed that your car is traveling at and that just split my mind in a way that i wasn't expecting that i not only had to plan where my ball was going to go but i also had to manage the speed of a car with my dice throws like putting the brakes on or speeding up accordingly to try and make sure i was hitting certain areas of the table but the one that really stood out for me is the one set in a bank heist and i think this one really shows off the skill the thematic skill and the application of it just impeccably so that just through rolling dice and moving this little silver ball around it was able to replicate the the feeling of going into a casino and performing a heist so there's a little area where you have to roll certain numbers to hire your crew and they give you certain bonuses when you go up and do the heist and then when you actually go and do the heist there's a little guard that goes on rotation and if he catches you in um in certain areas while you're performing or like raiding the safe or going for the gemstone or raiding the one-armed bandits he'll put you in jail and there's little like locks that you have to go to with certain numbers to unlock them and um pyramids that you have to climb in order to get to the to the best loot and it really felt like i was playing burgle brothers a pinball machine and it was at that point that i thought yeah this this game is 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 really something special like i've never i've never really felt this way with a roll and write game before usually they're very quite abstracted and 
interesting puzzles and i absolutely adore i absolutely adore the genre but the actual real application of theme was just something i've not experienced before it was it was really really good and can i ask because i remember Mm -hmm. playing 4k that there was difficult different difficulty levels with the tables is that the same for this um i think it's slightly different in this it definitely feels like they're of similar they're except for go for gold they're all of similar difficulty um but the puzzle is a lot different. In 4K, it definitely felt like ramping up in difficulty as you were playing, as you were playing each and each table, which I felt was could be a little off-putting in the end. To know that while well, the next table is only going to be harder, the next table is only going to be harder. Here, it feels a lot more like what I what am I in the mood for this evening? Like what? 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 Here's my menu of of boards I can that I can pick from. Interesting to play with. My next question was that if you were in a wrestling match and you had to tag either Dan or myself in, I'd wear my contacts. I wouldn't be wearing my glasses. If that changes things. Mm. Uh, well, my question back to you is: What kind of wrestler am I? I'm going to open this. I'm going to throw this over to you, Dan, who knows a little <laughs> bit more about wrestling than I. No, no, I want to hear your view. Suggest I do. What's my fighting style? What? Okay, what's my entrance? Um, Greco Roman. I don't know. <laughs> Greco Roman. So Kurt Angle. Okay, right. okay. Let, let, okay, we'll do this a bit differently. Okay, uh, so Chris, we have to work out not not what his fighting style is because uh, you might not know that. We're working out what's his uh, wrestling persona going to be. Because that's that that's more in your wheelhouse that you that you can contribute towards that. I'm just thinking. Uh, I don't know. Um, Sam's fighting style. Um, I think he's. I think he's. He's a bit of a dancer. I'd say. I imagine him, kind of peacocking his way around. You wouldn't be able to get a hold of him. He'd be ducking. So he'd be doing and flips and jumps and flips. I just think he'd just be fidgeting quite a bit back and forth. Like you wouldn't be able to, you wouldn't be able to grab a hold of him. Okay, to try and transpose that onto modern day wrestlers, for anyone listening who uh, is is aware of that, I would gonna say that I'm based on based on Chris's description of your fighting style, Sam. Uh, your equivalent fighter is a gentleman called Matt Riddle. <laughs> oh god he just poses conundrums <laughs> so yeah that kind of furtive fighting style so I'm just doing a quiz on haywise.com to see what kind of wrestler I'm going to be um, pick a fighting style to defend yourself mix martial arts I mean, that's the question What's isn't it? it pick a fighting style to <laughs> defend yeah, yourself fair, you've done the What's job you... that you asked us to I would do. have opened with that <laughs> what's your favorite breakfast food number two is eggs eggs and more eggs i feel like i've got to pick that one uh, i've had a spirit animal what would i be uh loyal dog oh here we go okay okay right after after all those questions i finally um found out which wwe wrestler i would be here we go okay so dan you can search this person because i don't know who they well, are know who it is uh, I am Sonia Deville. Okay, she's kind of the mixed martial arts, kind of an authority figure. I'm honest, direct, and true to myself. 
Um, I think that description does not cover her current character. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, well. Um, that, that that quiz was worth the malware it's no doubt put on my phone. <laughs> um, so, so surely then you want to tag somebody in who compliments that. They may not embody Absolutely, it completely, that's... but they fill a gap, so to speak. I would say, actually, that I'm bringing Dan into the mix. First of all, he's tall. You've made a horrible mistake. Um, all right, okay. because Chris. I think Chris, Chris has got Chris has got the the the, the speed and the stamina that that I I'd be I'd be out in about five minutes. I'm scrappy. He's uh, yeah. I, I think I think oh, I just think Chris would just enter the ring, do some capoeira, and then be very out of his depth very quickly. Oh, and also out of breath. I feel like yeah. I feel like Dan. I think you just have a better handle on the situation. I can I can imagine Chris trying to do something and just getting thrown out of the ring and then just popping back up again and be like, oh, what, 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 that was basically <laughs> every judo class I did as a child. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, right, Dan, you might as well go next. I think last year I I just said I wanted to get fit, mm. being healthy and getting fit. Quote. I'm in a bit of a rut. I want to get out of that rut. Chris. If your body was a temple, what kind of temple would it be? Oh, yeah. Dan. You're really stumped by this. Dan, some sort of meditative yoga retreat? Basically, I don't know. I just want to eat a bit better and go for a run. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that printed on a fridge magnet. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's, It's a real kind of like, kind of thing where you get the picture of like, like, a, a vast landscape with a sunrise and over the top of it. I don't know. I just want to get healthy and go for a run. So it's not quite quite the same. Uh, uh, I did and I didn't do this. So kind of the running kind of got affected by the lockdown and stuff like that. I wasn't really happy with kind of finding places to kind of go and interacting with people. Obviously, I had two young kids that kind of threw a spanning works for that. But the healthy eating, like I was like on it for like six months, like. I like went for like six months without any carbs at all. Um, I was smashing it. And then as inevitably happens, you kind of, you let yourself like have a little bit of treat here and there. And then suddenly, mm, well, I've had one, I can have another and it snowballs and snowballs. And I'm kind of back in old habits now. I wouldn't say I'm in a rut, but uh, I, I, my, my, I'm planning on next year kind of doing the same thing of getting back into it, but trying to maintain it for the entire year. Is the thing now that I know I can do it, I know what works for me. I know what how I can what I will enjoy, and the kind of the diets that I know I can do. It's not going to be too taxing. That are that are really good, but not kind of too restrictive as well. I'm going to try and do that and maintain it for the course of year. And I want to push myself to do more exercise. Like when we did like round the houses challenge, like a few years back, I I absolutely loved that, and I was I did more exercise than I've ever done before, and I loved it. But it's that thing of if you fall out of sync with it it's difficult to get kind of get back on track. So there's that, but that's a simple one. I don't, I, that's copying last year. So I don't feel like that's mm. that's good enough this year. So I'll, mm. something different is uh, I bought not long ago uh, a Kindle. So I want to start reading a bit more. Um, and so I want to do kind of, I want to set aside like a, a New Year's resolution to encourage me to read. So I want to have a resolution to read at least one book a month, which is not difficult. 
but it's it's also kind of it's it's a commitment. So at least one book a month, but it has to be kind of um with kind of Amazon Prime and stuff, you get free books. I don't want it to just be the free book that I got this month. I want it to be a good book. So I want it to be something that I have gone and sourced and found a good book and tried to be something different. I don't want to just read a crime novel every single month because I don't think I'm going to get a lot out of that. But I want to write different types of stories. That's that's my goal, to kind of expand my uh, reading knowledge over the kind of the course of the 12 months. It might be an old book. It might be a brand new book. It might be anything, but... I think that's something that um, I can do and I can enjoy, and it's 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 achievable. I've got that as my um, as one of my uh, targets on my Time Cap app to read a book every month slash comic, just in case my book is too long. And you need to moment, quickly I'm, read something. Yeah, yeah. And I know at the moment I'm reading Volume Two of the the Tales of the Condor, which is horribly prefaced on the book on the front cover of the book as being the Chinese Lord of the Rings um, but really what that means is they're big <laughs> big big books like so fantastical you, you're, epics you're not classing like a single issue comic as being something that you've read which literally will take five minutes like a graphic novel I'd say it counts as something that I would that I, I would complete yeah I'm not, I don't completely cheat the system but um, well it's your system it's my system, so it is. It's a book slash graphic novel, but I think that counts just as. I think you get just as much from a, a graphic novel that you do that you do a book. It's got to be. It's got to be some sort of complete complete story. Uh, Dan's reminded me actually. I forgot there is another resolution. I'm just going to take one of my chips off. Okay. Because right. okay. I remember just this year, just the one, because the big house is going to be a big thing for me if I get it. This 2021 last year, I set myself the challenge of watching all of Sergei Tarkovsky's films the whole year. A fantastic Soviet filmmaker, a legendary filmmaker, was incredibly influential on a lot of modern cinema today. And I've realised every year I'm going to pick a different director and I'm going to use the year to watch all of their films. And my director of choice for 2022 is going to be Akira Kurosawa and their Samurai Collection. And I've never watched a Kurosawa film. I was I became really invested and interested in them after playing Ghost of Tsushima pretty much a year yeah. ago, actually, in fact. Um, particularly with like the Kurosawa filter you've got on there mm-hmm. um, in the photo mode. I was like, oh, I really need to need to watch these films. And I know these films were hugely influential on filmmakers, including like George Lucas and the original Star Wars trilogy. And Absolutely. I've never watched a Kurosawa film at all. So I'm going to, in 2022... Spaced out throughout the year, I will, by the end of it, watch every single Kurosawa samurai film. If the bare naked ladies were any judge of cultural impact, then Kurosawa, he make mad films. Good point, Sam. (laughs) (laughs) It's no no lie on the show that we love an insert, not just in episodes that we do where we insert ads of our own products well um, willy-nilly by pete's rpg let's get his resolution done that'd be really nice for him but also i admit that sometimes if i've had too much alcohol um the craziest thing i will do is go online and buy inserts for board games <laughs> <laughs> oh you you reckless sam you're a reckless <laughs> no um, You're out of I, control. I, um, Osprey Games were really kind to send um, undaunted reinforcements to me the other day, and that that just got me really excited because it actually has enough space in to fit everything that's come with the game beforehand. So 
Undaunted North Africa and Undaunted Normandy all fit into this one giant box. I was really appreciative of that as a as a stop motion animation on our Instagram channel if you want to have a look at that. And and, and Chris, Chris, can we just say this is a note now that we you and I will talk about the Undaunted series at some point on this podcast yeah. because we've we flirted around it quite a lot, but yeah. it genuinely is one of our favorite games and um there's a new solo version that's come with reinforcements that I'm desperate to to try. So we, we will do that. We've, we've said it now. And yeah. unless you edit this out, then we're committed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the last insert that I bought drunk was actually, actually, Chris, it was on the night of your birthday um, celebrations when we had all those whiskey sours. Yes. Because um, one of the games that I brought then was Taverns of Tirth and Four. Love this game. Which is, oh, it's it's incredible. It's by one of our, one of my favourite designers of all time, Wolfgang Walsh. The Mind, Quacks of Quedlingberg, Illusion. He, hit after hit after hit. Everything he touches is um, gold. Yeah, I think, I think Dan, you, you must be a big fan of his because every game that I've ever shown you of his, you've, you've either ended up buying or I've just given you a copy of, of it. Uh, like the mind and illusion. I remember we played illusion at UK Games Expo. Is, did you say Tav- Taverns of Tithenthal was one of his? Yeah, yes. I've, not, I've not played that one. Uh, but yeah, it's the small no. kind of um, very quick and easy, very simple kind of cover games. I mean, the mind was my first entry point into that. Um, and then obviously kind of you, you talk about him kind of incessantly. Um, and then we moved on <laughs> to uh, illusion when we went to the expo in Birmingham. Yes, yes. So, yeah, so stri- I mean, pub. it's one of those yes, things, though. the kind of games, I, for, for me anyway, so, some of these games like The Mind, like Illusion, as soon as I've played it, like, it's one of those things where before I've even finished playing it, I've already gone onto Amazon and I've bought a copy of it for myself. It's that kind of instant impact of, I get this, Absolutely. this is excellent, this is easy for, because the people I'm more likely to play with don't play games regularly, so it needs to be something that can be easily understood very quickly. Um, and the, yeah, yeah. The, those are the ones that really kind of attract me for, for for him, and he's fantastic at them. He is. He's very good at that small box stuff. Well, Taverns was kind of the sort of culmination of quite a lot of his works. It was it was definitely this blend of a lot of his games all merged into into one. Really, again, bit of a broken record on my part. This is a game that we've spoken about before on the podcast. I can't remember what episode. And um, it's a game that I absolutely love. However, the box is a bit of a dumpster fire or a trash heap when it can, when it comes to actually organising it. Um, and made even worse so because the kind people at Coiled Spring sent me the expansion. It's called the Open Doors expansion for Taverns of Tirth and Thor. Uh, with the idea this the the game the game is that you're running this you're running this pub in Germany you run you 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 and your mates um the other people around the table are each running a pub and basically you've got to run the best pub you've got to attract the right clients you've got to make sure you're brewing the right beer you've got artists who come in and entertain your the the people around you've you've got snaps you flow in you've got to give monks lots of beer and they'll do things for you it's it's absolutely wonderful uh little management game but the original game itself came with four modules 
which were essentially things that you could add on or take away from the base game to kind of give you your give you like would you call them expansions chris or are they just kind of like different flavors of the same of the same thing it was they were different menus almost weren't they that you could kind of yeah. you could build your meal out of. and i remember we talked about this in episode 88 at the pod <laughs> well done <laughs> saves me a job in the edit um yeah but like and again that is a as you say a trademark of walsh like everything from yes. that to quacks of quedlinburg where you can flip the cauldron over and you've got another variant of the game there he just gives and gives and gives which i really really love so you already feel like when you've bought the base game that it's already come with the expansions yes and yeah it's really weird and now and now there's another expansion on top of those so now open doors adds another four modules bonkers. on top of the four that came in the actual base game and i remember when i was setting it up at um at our friend's house and it was just like a box full of plastic baggies and it took me an age to set up because it was just an absolute mess of plastic and things in bags and you know and i love things in bags and i love things being organized but it was so disastrous that that was it just bought an insert and the inserts changed my life but the expansion itself i think is if you've got taverns of tearth in four I think the easiest thing to say is like this is just more to the game. It adds more. It doesn't re it doesn't really feel like it's overcomplicating things. It's just more choices to um select from a menu in terms of what do we fancy this evening? We could oh a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, or I really like that expansion, or I really like that module. Um let's play with with those two this evening. There's like one, Chris, where it was like you had this little attachment on the, on the top of your pub, which was like some bedrooms. That, oh, it's lovely. So you could have people Guest like house, yeah. staying over in your in your pub for the first time. There's another one which introduces um, critics, which <laughs> which I yeah. really like the idea of. And a sommelier um, as well. There's a sommelier which kind of you're you're not only brewing beer, but you're also serving wine, which is which is a really nice like touch to to sort of elevate this status of going from just running this bar to then running this really popular like establishment which offers more than just a place to sit have a bit of food and, and have a pint of beer there's also uh, one of the modules um goes on um about pleasing the mayor of the town and like it comes with this whole board where the mayor will have certain things that they want people to achieve in order for them to be impressed so you're not just trying to impress people that are coming to visit your tavern but also you're you're trying to meet these objectives to to impress the mayor of teeth and thor and and it's just it's just incredible and it's more of the same and, and i just love the variety that now that comes with this game and i and i think that it is a bit of a shame that if you already own the game and you want to get more of this expansion i really feel like you have to buy the insert with it because chris you well chris you've seen it pre and post oh, yeah. insert and play and played the game pre and post insert yeah and i i it borders on unplayable yeah. really when it's just like bags of plastic i mean um, you don't want a game where the setup is lasts just as long as the play no and it's a real shame no. because actually like 
one of the things I was a bit wary about because it had been a while since we played Tavern's Tear Vault. Not just because we didn't like it. We loved that game. It's just you've got so many games uh, that it just fell by the wayside yeah. a little bit. But And I was a bit worried. Mm -hmm. Okay, right. I've got to remember the rules of this game and also learn these new expansions. But Walsh does that really clever thing that you don't often see with expansions where he gives you enough of something new to feel like you're, there's a change has occurred, but not so much that it feels like you're having to learn a lot more rules and it just no. slips in effortlessly like the modules themselves click in and attach themselves really in a satisfactory manner around uh, your own respective pub yeah yeah and and being able to hand someone something as part of the insert and know that that is everything they're going to need it doesn't that 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 and knowing that that's everything they're going to need doesn't depend doesn't matter what module that we're going to play in that little box is everything that they they need to progress through the game rather than oh here are a couple of chits in this baggie here are another couple of things and oh I've forgotten these things let me just dig around here to go and get like especially you know when you're introducing the game to someone for the first time like oh, I've got this great game called Taverns like let me get it down from the shelf oh my god like sorry let me just try and find oh now oh, no i'm missing this now oh i've got to go and get this like i feel like that's really off-putting to um can be quite off-putting to quite a lot of people so it really brings a game to life and i think it would be a massive shame for people picking up this expansion to get the most out of it to not have something like the insert the folded space insert is, is the one that the one that i got but i think there are others available not to have that as well because it's a massive massive advantage to really getting this game to the table as much as possible because it's absolutely it's staggering i i absolutely love it right let's move on to me my resolutions last year do, do you remember do you remember uh, i remember the time cap app you were being very very strict with yourself and very yeah. diligent i mean be honest sam did you remember yours before you re-listened to the episode yes okay i remembered one of the two the other one I forgot about, but I completed it accidentally. So the first one was crack an egg with one hand. Oh, yeah, Did I remember that. that. Did that in February. Smashed it. Yeah, that's well, a lot smarter than buying a house. It. Yeah. <laughs> and my other one was uh, one lunch per week that doesn't include a sandwich. And And I did this. I kind of forgot about it halfway through the year, but I carried it on unbeknownst to me because I took up intermittent fasting, which consequently led to me not eating a sandwich at least twice a week uh, for lunch. So it's all sorted. Does it count if you haven't had any lunch? Yes. Yeah, it does, it yeah. Was... Speaking yes. of somebody who also struggles not to have a sandwich for lunch, mm -hmm. what, like other people out there, what is the, the go-to lunch that, that is an alternative to, say, a sandwich? Salad. Cereal. Just on its own. Well, no, no, not on his own. You can have whatever you want. I with mean, it. don't just open up a bag of lettuce and chow on down. Nuts, pulses, grains, meats, other types of salad, <laughs> dressing. <laughs> you can make and, yourself a sandwich, but instead of bread, you could have a lettuce cup. Now, Dan, yes. I don't want to. I don't want to extend this because other stuff for us to discuss in this podcast recording. But did you hear Sam slip in there very quickly? Cereal as a lunch alternative. <laughs> Well, that's why that's why I'd have when on my fast days, I'd tend to skip breakfast, and then I'd have two hundred calories in the afternoon, 
which would be a, a, a slim bowl of cereal with 100 mil of Isn't a slim bowl of, of plate? <laughs> <laughs> but I lost two stone. It was great. I know, I yeah. felt better. It's amazing. And now I've given up caffeine. And I feel even better. Which You've is... given up caffeine? Yeah, I know. Oh, my gosh. Detox city centre over there. That's incredible. Uh, it's not even a detox. I think I'm going to... I genuinely think that I'm going to keep keep on going because I feel more awake in the morning as I feel more awake now than I ever have on caffeine. It's, it's really, really odd. Like waking up in the morning and feeling like just on it rather than, oh, I need a tea. Like, it's just really like strange. It's yeah. odd. But wow. yeah, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm going to keep that up. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's bonkers. And now I've got tons of tea in my house. <laughs> that I don't know what yeah, to, to do. Be fair, with. I've, a few times in recent years, I've bought you tea for your birthday because you like mm-hmm. tea so much. I do love tea. I, I but... also think Dan that because I, I understand this is a recent change to your life, Sam. Yes. It'll be too late for certain people who bought him Christmas presents, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> It's like it's like that auntie gets you the bottle, the same bottle of tea in her ear every year. It's a bit like this Doctor Who shirt I'm wearing that my mother-in-law kindly bought me, thinking, obviously, he's the kind of guy who must like nerd. Doctor Who. Yeah. Well, look at him. He walks around reading Batman all the time, drinking posh tea. He's got he's got to. And I, 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 it would break her heart if she ever found out. That I, I mean, you are wearing like... it, so clearly you like it. I know, the shirt. because it's it's like a nighttime shirt. And got, my, got my Jimmy Jams on. Ready, ready to go to bed. Have I'll have a I'll have a lemon and ginger tea, and then I'll go to bed. I mean, we're still sticking with how the sausages made. We're doing New Year's Eve together, you and I. I thought Pete was the one who always used to get early nights on New Year's Eve. Oh dear. Oh. That was another episode of Staying In with Sam Turner. Dan Frost and myself, Chris Darby. Wow. Uh, happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. It's been one hell of a year. It's had its highs, its lows, its weird bits. Uh, but well done on making it uh, to level 2022. If you want to get in touch with us at all, uh, you can contact us in a variety of ways. There's a the good old fashioned email staying in podcast at gmail.com or if you prefer the social media feeds at staying in pod has you covered for our facebook our twitter and our instagram as well i just want to take this opportunity to uh, help my dear pal pete with his new year's resolution and to just remind you of his fantastic rpg that he's put together um, which you can find on Drive-Thru RPG, and it is called the Cat Cot Collection. So that's Cat Cot with two T's at the end of that, really, the Cat Cot Collection. If you just go onto Drive-Thru RPG and search for it, you'll be able to find it. It's a fantastic one-on-one RPG, one keeper and one investigator. It'll take you around one to three hours to play. What I really, really loved about it is the fact that not only is it dripping with theme, and Pete's put a lot of effort into that, but secondly is it's really refreshing for me to experience the Cthulhu kind of mythos, but within Bristol. And that's really, really interesting. You know, for me, often I I see the kind of this theme, let's say, this world as something that's very distant. And to have something that's relatively local to me was a real treat to experience and an utter joy to be able to experience that with the designer themselves, really. 
So that was a real good thrill. And I can't recommend it enough to you, really. So head on over to DriveThruRPG and have a look at the Catcock collection. Um, I also wanted to take this opportunity to just say thank you for listening to us uh, over this last year. Uh, I do this podcast to have this opportunity really to hang out with my my friends, really. And they are all pretty much brothers to me by now. And to know that I've got this entire audio archive of us all hanging out through these various points in our lives as we've moved all around the place, as big things have happened to us, has just been an utter, utter treat and utter joy, really. And it has been an absolute pleasure and a privilege, really, to spend time with these people. And hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you enjoy it as much as I do, really. Okay, uh, that's enough nattering from me. I'm going to leave you now uh, to our spoiler-filled chat uh, where Dan, Sam and I talk about Spider-Man No Way Home. And I cannot impress upon you enough. If you've not yet seen this film, then please do yourself a favour and just end the podcast here now. Go and see it. It's going to be in the cinemas for quite a while. It's the first film to make a billion dollars since 2019. So uh, it's going to be sticking around for a while. So I urge you to hide thee to your local cinema and if it feels if you feel safe to do so, obviously, and uh, watch it before listening to this next section of the pod. But for those who have, I'm going to leave you now uh, to quite a long chat about what we made of this incredible picture. Should we do spoilies? Oh, should we do spoilies? I have to. I have uh, so, to say, like, the, we 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 can be in kind of spoilery area here. Just, yeah, let's do it. We're spoiling things now. Yeah, because you mentioned kind of the experience of being yes in the cinema. Oh my um, god! I don't know about you. I mean, like, there was a, there was a smattering of applause at the end. I've never really had that before. That was a bit strange. Um, what I've what I've definitely not had before is kind of big cheers in the cinema. Yeah. I don't know if you have. Like mm-hmm. I've mm-hmm. We, I think we've all seen those videos of like Endgame, like the portals. Portals. Yeah. Oh my portal gosh. Scene, which, which for me is up there as one of the greatest scenes in cinema history. Like I can watch that one scene on my phone, apropos nothing else, and it still gives me goosebumps. It gives me the feels. It almost brings me to tears. It's it's that strong and emotive. And you watch those videos of people and those that people, the reaction to that happening and the cheers and the build and suddenly it's ah amazing. I had that in this film. That moment when Ned opens the portal and then in the distance you see a Spider-Man. And I didn't, Mm -hmm. my brain didn't click that at first. My brain at first thought that was Tom Holland. No, no, Sam Sam, Sam nudged me and he goes, no, Chris, it's not him. It's yeah. (laughs) There was a ripple around of people going, of like gasps and suddenly everyone because of that everyone started to understand and it built and it built and it built and then you realize that it's not tom holland and suddenly like and then it's a case of who is it and then he takes it off and it's andrew garfield and just the place erupted and it was it was a surreal experience i'm not someone who makes noise in the cinema and i didn't i don't cheer that's not what i do <laughs> I don't. I'm. 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 Processing. I, I am processing. This, but I'm not going to vocalise my I'm emotion. Not, I'm not, not going to sit in the cinema and whoop and cheer, especially from sat by myself. I was, I was bloody hugging Chris. I was oh so excited. Oh my gosh! Genuinely, was, we, we clung to each other, didn't we, Sam? Oh, and it, because the first one, like I think most people knew, 
most it was i think that andrew garfield was probably the one that everyone knew was going to be in it in some capacity and i was of the opinion that i'd rather have all three andrew garfield toby Maguire, and tom holland or none at all like i think it would have been a little bit cheap just to have andrew garfield so when i saw andrew i was like oh my god oh my god oh my god chris and i was there like holding him in the cinema where they did it again and then he walks in like toby Maguire. honestly (laughs) my past and my present just collided because i remember being in media studies doing a level writing Mm. my 2002 essay on the rise of comic book films and spider-man was my case study absolutely uh just incredible i heard the uh is it chad kroger i heard the (laughs) yeah yeah um, the hero yeah, yeah, I heard the that Chad Kroger soundtrack ringing in my ears. I Toby Maguire uh, walked in there. It was, I said to Chris afterwards, I said, it skirted the line very thinly between Epic Reunion and the Welcome to the 20th Anniversary uni- Reunion yeah. Special of Spider-Man. We brought them all here tonight. But I think that's just part of the whole zeitgeist at the moment i think that's just like permeates in the film like we've had the friends reunion 20 like 20 year reunion whatever like the harry potter 20 year reunion or whatever is coming up like soon yeah. like sex in the cities like that big reunions happening on tv at the moment like it's just like part of our culture which i think gives it a little bit of that like almost gave it a little bit of that like Sounds a bit twee to say, but you know, in those like comic relief episodes or when they make those specials in Children in Need where they bring all the characters together for that like one, that one special, like it, it just about got away with that. Like it was just so perfectly done. Once they were there, I was really scared that they would just be there and they'd go and it'd be a cameo, but then they stuck Mm -hmm. around and I think I'm going to love it even more a second time round because even though I, I, I won't get over that suddenly, that amazement of them being there, I won't have that. The fact that I know they're sticking around, and the and the two of them, Garfield and Maguire, will have scenes together, and that mm-hmm. Andrew Garfield will help, you know, sort out Toby Maguire's back, and yeah, they all three of them will hug. Yeah, I th- I, I do think there was kind of there's a few moments you kind of like you, and Sam, as you say, you're skirting kind of like, are you? It did. You're, you're like, very close to the line here between parody here, like when there there were. A f- I agree, Dan. There were a few. There were a few scenes where it's just like, right, if this goes on for a little oh, bit no. longer, no. it's a little bit self. But, but I think there's an important part about like this whole thing and this whole like multiverse thing, especially when it comes to Peter Parker and kind of why he is the perfect character to have all this and to introduce this world to. And it goes the same with Into the Spider Verse. It's like Peter Parker as Dan, you said earlier on the podcast, you know, is this character who is young, he's vulnerable, he is still kind of like learning who he is, but whilst also trying to be Spider-Man and dealing with all, while other, everyone else around him in terms of superhero-wise has already gone through that sort of that moral philosophy of what it takes to do the right thing, he is still having to come to terms with that whilst also losing all the role models and all the and all the people around him that he would naturally go to 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 help with those quandaries so for example Tobey Maguire has Norman Osborn turn to look up to and to be a sort of father figure in the absence of Uncle Ben turns into a maniacal goblin and 
tries to kill everyone. Then he has Otto Octavius, father figure, looks up to him, turns into a maniacal killer. Like uh, Andrew Garfield, obviously has his has his best friend, um, returns into a to a goblin and tries to kill everyone, and then ends up like not being able to save his girlfriend. And then you've got Tom Holland, Spider-Man, who looks up to Tony Stark, and then Tony Stark dies, bringing half the people back into the universe. And then Aunt May dies. And th- there's, it's just a character who is so alone and so just needs someone else to go, I know what you're going through. I know exactly everything that's happening to you, which is why the multiverse stuff just rings so much truer to a character like Peter Parker because more than anyone else in the MCU, he's just the one character who's just begging for someone to put an arm around his shoulder and just go, I know what you're going through. And this is, you know, this is one way that we can deal with it and we can deal with it together because that's the one thing he never has as a character, especially in the MCU. And that, and when you're dealing with such massive things like the multiverse and trying to explain that to to a mass audience like he's just the perfect character to to use for that and i think that that point you say of like like people and he says in thing you don't know what i'm going through don't say you do yeah. when, when he loses may and you have that incredible scene between the three of them where he meets them for the first time and you have kind of toby mcguire toby mcguire's peter park and andrew garfield's there and they 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 say like i don't know i don't know what you're going through but i like when toby mcguire says when um, I lost Uncle Ben, and like we're like we're taken back to that moment in our, in our minds. And then at first, I thought he was gonna, like Andrew Garfield was going to say the same again. And then he mentioned Gwen, Gwen, and I'd almost forgotten about that. I've kind of like, and what I loved about their treatment of all these characters was that it didn't just say, "All right, we're just going to drop this character in, going to say a few funny things, it's gonna, it's gonna go." The things that happened in those films, and especially I think with Andrew Garfield's character, yeah, I think Andrew Garfield's character. In, I, li- I like it. I liked his his uh, interpretation of the character. He was a bit too cool for my liking. I think Peter Parker should be a bit more geeky than he was. But the fact that at the end of kind of Amazing Spider-Man Two, where 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 he's not able to save Gwen, to see him now and to see how much that has weighed on him, that's such an incredible kind of character development for him. It kind of any problematic elements with those films, it kind of it saved a lot of them because suddenly. His character is so much more interesting having him go through that darkness. And when just when he mentions that, and it did catch me off guard, because obviously the, the Uncle Ben dying is kind of a form a like a point in the sand for this character, typically in the comics anyway. And obviously we've seen it both with Toby Maguire and Andrew Garfield, that kind of that happen. So when he mentions Gwen, it did kind of just like take me aback a little bit. And suddenly you see in his eyes, I think his performance is fantastic. I think he is taken the role and taken that character in another direction which feels natural which feels interesting and the characters of the 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 two kind of former spider-men when they show up they say we're here because we have we're here to help peter we need to find him to help him because it's not just we're here to fight some people it's we need to we need to support him what he's going through and i was just blown away by that and it would have been very easy for them to just forget about the old films to have the characters, but not really include the old films. Like one of the first things that kind of Dr. Octopus says, he talks about kind of um, the power of the sun kind of in his hand. And that's like, I was surprised by that because it is just taken 
the character from a moment in this film. And if you don't know the film, it doesn't mean anything. But the fact that they are taking the characters immediately from those films and bringing them into this world was just was fascinating to me. And I just Marvel are really good at certain things. They're they're incredible at certain moments, like the portal scene, the moment where you first see a new spider, like when you first see kind of Andrew Garfield through that in the distance through that hole. That's that's goosebumps moment. They're they're fantastic at that, but they're also really really good at having these incredibly large scale ideas and concepts but written and done in a way that just makes sense like the amount the scale of the story of this film should should be almost impossible to do we've seen it attempted in kind of this kind of scale in other types of comic book films and it's failed but like they make manage to make the whole idea of this multiverse completely understandable and you don't question it it might mm-hmm. be slightly convenient how they get there, but that's something you just kind of take on board. Um, but the, the f- it was it was, a, it was a lot simpler than I thought it was going to be yeah. based on the trailers. It was a lot cleaner, and I like and I like the fact that and some people have criticised Marvel Marvel for this, but I'm actually liking it that they've not fully committed to the multiverse yet. Like they're just dabbling with it yeah. slightly, just like opening feed. up the oven door slightly just going oh it's not it's not no 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 not ready yet like just to help everyone because when they get there it's going to get bonkers yeah like really really bonkers to the point where you know in terms of like comic books the whole industry just had to reset itself on how bonkers the multiverse stuff got with marvel and and dc like reset themselves multiple times because of how out out of control when you open up this pandora's box of multiverse like the only way to the only way to shut it is literally start everything again from ground up someone biting a spider someone killing bruce wayne's parents like it's it's the only way so they know they've got to really like touch it with kid gloves which makes me think that doctor strange and the multiverse of madness is going to be i think it's gonna deal a lot more with the multiverse conceptually and really sort of ground it in 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 something before and i i I don't think even if i don't think even after that we're gonna see much of the multiverse having an effect really on anything i i I think it's gonna be phase five until we really see Hmm. much of what this actually what impact this is actually gonna have on on anything. We look at the Infinity Saga. I mean, that that yeah. drip fed the stones right from kind of from Captain America, the first Avenger. That's been drip fed, and it wasn't really until like four or five films before the end of the entire kind of saga that you actually said, "Okay, all right, then we're doing this now." Yeah, and that was a much simpler concept to explain, which is just like man needs six things. He's got six things. There you go. Whereas here, it's just like they're not really committed to who the next big bad is going to be. Is it going to be um, that guy from the Eternals or is it going to be Kang? And it's quite interesting that those two sort of big bads are looming over the over the horizon that you kind of got Kang, the Conqueror, and then someone even worse than than them, like looming in the shadows. So and then we've also like, got Harry Styles. Then we've also got Harry Styles. <laughs> Woo, Harry Styles. Come on, come on. Can we just talk a little oh, bit about the villains? Because can we talk thi- at length about Willem Dafoe? <laughs> well, I know <laughs> you want to do that, Sam, but can I, I just want to briefly just say one thing I really, really loved 
that I could have just basked in for a while. And again, it's something it that I think you can only do <laughs> as a Spider-Man film. Think back to Civil War, where mm. they're in the thick of this um, very intense conflict between Captain America and Iron Man. And then suddenly we yep. just cut to Queens. And then there is this little interlude that in another film would be a really strange gear change because we're suddenly taken out of the action into this quite offbeat scene between Peter Parker and Tony Stark. And it just feels right. And there are lots of those kinds of moments here where think back to the early kind of films in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There's no way they'd let a director do this. But to actually sit in an apartment with all of Spider-Man's greatest villains together, (laughs) working together to try and cure each other. Mm -hmm. And they're not the big bad. The big bad is actually when's Doctor Strange going to break out of his prison and come and stop this? That was just really, really an interesting wrinkle I found. A a, a brave move that everyone thought this was just going to be Spider-Man battling six villains for two and a half hours. Sinister Six. Yeah. Yeah, and and it it wasn't that at all. It was... I found it really interesting, like how this film dealt. And I know, for, for, I guess it's because we we just watched this movie, and but we've already spoken a lot about morality. But how this movie did deal with the morality of being a superhero and really explored it. How there was this young boy who didn't just all he wanted to do was try and save these people. And you know, I think obviously. Willem Dafoe is just the MVP of this movie. He's just, you know, he is just the villain that the MCU has just been missing throughout the entirety of 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 its run. He, you know, he's camp, he's cocky. He has got more of an edge in this film yeah. than I think he ever had in the in the first. I, I find him much more threatening in this than in the than these previous. I don't know. Of, if oh. you watch that first film, he's really. He's, I, I remember watching it for the very first time. He's very menacing, and he generally you, te- you generally he's the only villain in Spider Man's history you generally feel terrified of. But then, but then, as I said to you, Chris, like what is great about Willem Dafoe's performance is that it's lifted straight out of Tobey Maguire's film and put into what is a slightly more realistic universe of of films like the mcu is slightly more grounded than the very bright pop arty toby Maguire movies of the late 90s early very early thousands. cartoony yes so and i think that's what makes it a lot more i think that's what heightens those moments of you know real sinister villainy in Defoe's performance than probably you wouldn't have seen in the original Spider-Man because the original Spider-Man was just like you know popcorn like oh this is fun oh look at he's a villain oh yeah you know but but here it was the same performance but I think that genuine menace was was a lot more heightened because of the film that he was that he was planted in and it and it's you know he's and and I think it's just so great that they gave him license to be that camp and villainous like and to and to overact as much as as much as he did in that role. Because I've seen an interview with him where he talks about kind of taking on the role and saying that he spoke to kind of uh, the director and the producer and said, "Okay, if if I'm going to do this, I don't want to just be a cameo. I don't want to be just nostalgia. If I'm going to do this, I want to be in it full force. I want to be doing the stunts. I want to be because it's all or nothing." And yeah. I remember him talking about the original Spider-Man and talking about the fact of he he loved that film and he kind of loved the idea of, I mean, you think of Willem Dafoe's this really serious kind of actor kind of doing these avant-garde films and stuff like that. And then showing up in a Spider-Man film 
but his commitment to it and he just he loves mm-hmm. to do that and found it really interesting and just said like I, if i'm gonna do this i want to do it but i'm gonna go all in on this you can't just have me for a cameo because that's just not going to be enough it did feel like he'd heard they were doing a spider-man film and he just rocked up and nobody said to him <laughs> could you leave please said, let's just leave him and just let him do his thing and we'll, we'll write the script around willem dafoe yeah yeah it's so when Oh, when you, when I heard that laugh, I just gripped Chris's leg. And I was just like, brilliant. If this guy is in it. Because I was initially a little bit disappointed that, you know, they had uh, Sandman and uh, Lizard Guy in it. And they were pretty much CG all of the time. And again, I have to say this again for another Marvel property, the CG wasn't great. And I don't know whether it was an intentional thing to make the CG look like it did. It did. I late, think they did do it on purpose. Late thousands. And I and I thought, oh, is this because they've not got the actors? I thought that as well. And but then the actors turn up at the end of the movie, and I thought that was a really strange. Obviously, there must have been some sort of schedule yeah. clash or or whatever. But surely it'd be cheaper to get the actors and just f- put them in front of a green screen than it is to animate these characters all of the time. I I, I thought that was a bit of a shame. I didn't think Jamie Fox really was was really giving it its his all. I actually, but... I actually quite liked Jamie Foxx. I think kind of, and part of that is because his character in the Amazing Spider-Man Two is is not great. It's it's no, very puntastic, and you have the horrible battle in like the weird electrical field where they play the music, or it's it's all very very strange. So the character's not kind of well judged and well treated in that. So it does feel like just a second chance at it. Yeah, when he comes back as like full electro with the arc reactor, that that's when I felt he kind of like, oh, this is what he could have been. Yeah, yeah. In Amazing Spider-Man Two, but Willem Dafoe and Alfred Molina, who's just oh. one of my favorite actors anyway, like Doc Ock is just one of the most heartbreaking like villains. Like he's in the PS4 Spider-Man game. He's in one of my favorite Spider-Man uh, runs with Dan Slott. Um, and just like the love that he has for Peter is just heartbreaking that he, you know, just could not get over the control that these, that these tentacles have over him. And like Alfred Molina just, just sells it. Just like, that's what Sam Raimi got in. And and that's this, what this, what this film made me realize what Sam Raimi just, just nailed, especially in those first two Spider-Man films were the villains and where they came from and casting them and just seeing them back again. It just made you realize like, this is what the MCU is missing. And it's long been a criticism of the MCU that the villains were never that, like they got the superheroes on point, but the villains were never that really memorable or had much, sort of staying power but like i think i think part of the reason was because like some of like the most interesting and well-known villains are spider-man's villains and the two big ones are green goblin and dark Ock, and they've already been done yeah so i love the idea of like okay we want to do it so okay we don't it's been really difficult to replace them well let's just get the original guys back in because they were the perfect casting let's not try and reinvent the wheel here willem dafoe was green goblin Yes, please. Let's that just ticks the box. You don't try and change it if it's not broken. Just figure out a way to bring him in. And it's same with J.K. Simmons. Like, yeah, exactly. it was just you know, you wonder whether this is why they've not committed to the multiverse fully yet. Because did they just do it to pull off this massive like nostalgia trip to get everyone back into one movie and then like, yeah, we'll we'll worry about the multiverse later. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see some of like the screenshots and kind of the analysis 
of those first, those just a few mm. shots of the multiverse where it starts to open and it shows you figures in there because i guarantee you people will know who they are i I'm, i recognize I'm, rhino i saw rhino i did yeah, yeah i thought i saw rhino i thought he would i wasn't sure if that's who it was that i'd seen so i thought maybe they might have gone for someone i reckon there's probably bigger characters in there that someone will pause and zoom in and kind of enhance and you'll find out i mean kang is probably there all those things so you know that the, the way they do their easter eggs they will just be full up with all that stuff yeah, Paul, Paul Giamatti was there going, "Come on, Rhino!" That's it. Come on! Like we, we, I mean, earlier in the podcast, we talked about kind of the bits where they kind of almost straight into parody, and probably that scene where they're all talking about their favorite villains is probably where it comes closest. Where he just, where yeah. he talks about Andrew Garfield talks about, oh, "I just fought a guy in a rhino suit," and it's Once, just kind yeah. of like it's 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 just meta enough to be okay without pushing it too far into looking at the screen and saying yes i'm breaking that fourth wall um yes yeah just like the the dynamic between all of them was just fantastic and the scene where andrew garfield i say he i absolutely loved him in this film the scene where he saves yeah mj agreed is oh like heartbreaking in a good way that he's able to he's able to kind of recover from that loss in a way it was just beautifully mm-hmm. done um, because like when you see her start to fall, it's happening all the films kind of like, and it's just that trope again. And to then snatch it away when kind of Tom Holland gets snatched away, but then to be saved by Andrew Garfield was, was just perfect. And I think it, it just rounded up all the characters got rounded off in a really nice way and they were all improved on. There was no one there that just felt there just for the numbers, basically maybe Sandman and, lizard because they didn't really have anything to do um but of all the villains they weren't really the the best ones in there Vill- no. venom's the only one technically missing oh uh, should we talk should we should we talk about that no because that was almost what ruined the film for yeah. me really was bloody when i don't oh like my it. god just that character is just atrocious i don't mind that i don't mind that character I just... really have you seen venom i've seen venom i've not seen, seen the film? uh carnage Oh my god! I don't, I don't, don't awesome. get me wrong. It's not. I'm not saying I love the Venom films. Uh, I, I, I found it. I found it entertaining enough. I just, yeah, I, I'm glad that he had his little moment, and then he yeah. got zapped back. And well, it's, it's just a way to introduce Venom into the MCU. That's all. Yeah, but it might not be. You know, it might not be the Venom. Oh no, that that we know. I, I like the fact that like it's not. I don't think it'll it be Tom could, Hardy. No, that's what I mean. Yeah. Like, I, I, that's what I like is that they've both given themselves an out in terms of that just might not come to anything. Yes, we want Tom Hardy to do it, or the third option, Venom will be in it, but it won't be exactly. The one yeah, so that they, they can do whatever they want. Rubbish. But the fact of the matter is, you've now introduced the idea of Venom into the MCU, mm-hmm. and you can, and that's both. I mean, obviously, you've got contractual rights around the character, but. They don't have to use Tom Hardy because there is a narrative reason why. Yeah. It would be someone else. And yeah. and also, my first cheer that that somehow just manifested in my throat was seeing Matt Murdock. Oh, yes. I think I, I kind of expected that one. I didn't. Yeah, I expected it, but I didn't quite believe it until I, no. until I saw and it. I, to be honest... I, I should preface everything by saying I still can't quite believe what I saw at the cinema last night. Full stop. I'm still, yeah. I can't, I can't imagine. Like, it's almost like I've unearthed a film that 
that I, I completely missed out on and that, that came out back in 2002. It kind of did feel like if they were to end the MCU with one movie, it would be a movie like like that. I mean, just like let's just get all the characters and, back. And next next year, I'm actually going to go and watch a Flash film just so I can see my favorite Batman, which would be Michael Keaton. Yes. What? What? Who? who who's betting that uh, the Flashpoint film matches up with what they've done here? Well, it won't. It's a completely different agenda. But yeah, it's it. But like that idea that like we're going back to 1992 was the last time we saw this character. Not 2002. 1992. Yeah. And that was the Batman I grew up on. But I think yeah. I think in the same like absolutely agree, and I feel kind of the same way about this one bringing um, especially Tobey Maguire and Willem Dafoe in this it almost felt like and it kind of leads factors into what we were talking about earlier about people who don't have knowledge of those older films how would they feel about it it almost felt made for us because like we were like 16 we were we yeah, were like yeah. prime age for those films when they came out and that's 20 19 20 years ago and it's kind of like that's wild but crucially dan we're the right demographic we've we're the we've got the ones with the disposable income that are going to go yeah. and brave omicron and sit on the seats sit yeah. take our seats in the cinema Absolutely. it's, it's gen- genuinely i i th- i think of it like i think of endgame at the moment because anyway, it's fresh in my mind but endgame you you say chris you're like i don't believe what i saw last night that's how i felt about endgame i it was such a the only the only draw the the only kind of problem I have with Noah Home is I think the final battle's a bit meh. Uh, it's all a bit messy, I think. Um just a lot of people hitting each other around some scaffolding. Um by the way, love the Statue of Liberty having Captain America's shield. <laughs> that was that was very clever. For for all um, five minutes that it had it. Yeah. Uh that's the only kind of bit that ah, I was like, No, no, I liked it. I I, I, I think they earned that. Yeah, I liked it. For having all that sitting around talking, I think they earned smashy smashy. Smashy yeah. Smashy is fine. It's just the battle was a bit muddled. Like, in-game's battle but, is But fantastic. that's the whole point. They're like, we need to get organised. Uh, yeah. They have that moment. So like, we, we need to be battle. a bit more strategic. And that's when you get that wonderful shot of the three of them coming over the moon. Oh, yeah. You, there's your money shot. That I think you've I think it was in the trailers, but the other two had been CGI'd out. <laughs> yeah, I've still got Sam's um, handprint on my leg. He was gripping it so hard. 